You found us at the intersection of faith and the culture. It's Wall Builders. We're taking on those hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. Thanks so much for joining us today. I know that the program is encouraging to you because we hear from so many people talking about that. And so we appreciate you being a part of it. And I'm going to ask you to do something, an action step today that's really easy to do. You know, I'm always asking, you know, will you make a donation? Will you come alongside us financially? Will you share the program? Will you become a constitution coach or biblical citizenship coach? Will you become a part of the solution? So I've, I've, I've started thinking about just making it easy, right? Just just one easy step each time we ask. So today's easy step is share this program. So out of all those things I just listed, just do one of them. Just share the program. Take the link and share it with your friends and family so that they can hear some good news as well. I love Good News Friday. Gives me a pick-me-up, you know, helps me to remember that what we're doing matters and it works. And so I know your friends and family would enjoy the same thing. So be sure and share the program today. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, here with David and Tim Barton. Of course, David, America's premier historian and our founder at Wall Builders. Tim's a national speaker and pastor and president of Wall Builders. They've got a load of good news to share with you today. But guys, first, let's do what we've been doing all month. Let's get another hero of history. Tim, who's our hero of history today? All right, guys. Well, the hero today is Stephen Smith. And as always, if anybody wants to follow along, they can go to wallbuilders.com. You can download the PDFs. You can purchase a printout version we can send to you. And these are stories that we want people to know. At the end of the stories, there's also footnotes. Generally speaking, all these heroes we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, these are people whose stories are actually fairly well documented, and yet they're just not known or told on hardly any level today. And that's why we want to highlight these individuals, bring them to your attention. And and Stephen Smith is one of the individuals who is definitely in a unique category. One of the things we highlight Uh, about his story in this very brief little biography is that he's one of the wealthiest American black businessmen in America's history. At least up to that point, he certainly had been. You might could argue with inflation or numbers now, it could be different, but he was one of America's wealthiest black businessmen. And it is very significant because he was born at a time when slavery, where he was in Pennsylvania, slavery was on its way out. They'd already passed in Pennsylvania laws uh, for what they called gradual abolition. So Ultimately, in, in Pennsylvania, they wanted to end slavery, but there were some people they were having to fight with that said, look, we we have all these slaves. And one of the things that became very popular, especially in southern states, was that if if you could almost treat your slaves like it was a breeding farm, you could grow your slaves. Because once we stop the slave trade importation, then there's no way to get more slaves. And, and, and so the, right, a lot of mess in the slavery industry, a lot of evil in the slavery industry. In Pennsylvania, they said... That if you have slaves, and this was at this time, that you could keep your slaves, but any children born to them would be free children. Well, Stephen Smith was born to a mother who was a slave, but he was born free. And as a free young man, he then has obviously a weird navigated life as his mom's a slave, but he grows up, he gets a level of education and decides he he needs to find a profession, which every young man has to find a profession. And and there's actually been many great heroes we've highlighted along the way uh, who have been noted for some of the other incredible works they've done, like a guy like Paul Cuff or Paul Cuffey, depending on how we define his name and what he had done, or ministers like Henry Highland Garnett. But but if you're going to do that, then you have to learn a lot of Greek and Latin. Whatever you do, there's going to be a lot of effort and labor involved to be successful in that industry. 
Well, Stephen decided that he wanted to sign on with a lumber company. And, and it, I, you know, maybe it makes sense because there's a lumber mill, maybe not too far from where he is. And so, right, I, you're kind of piecing together. Maybe he's just thinking, OK, I'll, I'll go to the lumber mill. Well, for anybody, this this is not for Stephen specifically, for anybody who's going to work back then, you would generally find an apprenticeship. And in that apprenticeship, you would agree to go and be the apprentice. You would at times have to even pay to be the apprentice because you would get training at times that they would pay you, but it would be a, a very small amount of pay because the idea is that when you apprentice for somebody, you're going to learn that trade. And at the end of the apprenticeship, you will have some level of mastery of that trade. So then you have a skill that makes you more valuable. You can make a lot of money. So Stephen went to apprentice at a lumber yard. And while he's there, apparently he does a really good job as an apprentice because he's not there very long before the boss realizes that this guy is really talented and gives him a little more uh, power and authority. Well, he also, Stephen also realizes that he's getting on to this pretty quick. And so he works with the guy who owned this lumber yard to actually buy out his contract early. And the reason he bought it out early is because he thought, I, I can actually go set up shop for myself. I can everything I've, I've learned what I need to know. I can go do this now. So he decides he's going to go open his own lumber mill and he doesn't really stop there. Apparently he got a really good grasp of business. So he opens his own lumber yard, but then he begins expanding what he does. He moves to Philadelphia. Uh, he built lumber yards, he had actually coal businesses along the way. And begins to acquire property, begins to uh, acquire other assets along the way. And in all of his business dealings in the community, he also recognized the significance of Christianity because uh, he wanted to see churches. He, as, as a person of faith himself, he knew what faith had done in his own life. He wanted other people to experience that, find the freedom in Christ, to get the, the moral training from the Bible. So he not only helps open churches— he even became an ordained minister and served for a time as a pastor. So you're talking about one of the wealthiest people in that area at that time, not just a business person, but a pastor, which if you think about where you live, right, one of the wealthiest people where you live, imagine if one of the wealthiest people was a pastor. And we're not talking about, right, like it's the Joel Osteen, and this guy is so wealthy. No, no, no. We're talking about someone who's wealthy as a business person. They've been very, very successful in business but their life is not so consumed in business that they don't have a personal relationship with God or a connection on a spiritual level or spiritual front. Well, that's Stephen Smith. That's who he was. We can go on through the list of him. Uh, he actually helped in the Underground Railroad uh, be, because, and I didn't highlight this at the beginning, he was born in the late 1700s. And so he's growing up as a free person in Pennsylvania, but Obviously, the abolition issue is a very big deal, and, and he's part of that conversation. He's part of what's going on. He's found a lot of success as a free man. He wants to help other people find their freedom, so he works with the Underground Railroad. He works with the Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society. He he met with abolitionists like Frederick Douglass and, and John Brown of Kansas. Uh, he also was involved with the temperance movement, uh, temperance, because he understood that alcohol was not going to be beneficial to so many people. He was an outspoken Republican. Uh, he was actually part of the movement to build a national memorial to Abraham Lincoln. At the time of his death at nearly 80 years old, he was described as decidedly the most wealthy colored man in the United States. He literally was a rags to riches story. And, and again, one of the reasons we, we've highlighted over and over and over, the reason we want to tell these stories is when you have groups like the 1619 Project or right on, on Hulu, they now have the 1619 Project on Hulu. Several episodes you can watch. Disney Plus is promoting such 
critical race theory, racist Marxist propaganda. And it, it is a victim mentality. And it's not to say that evil didn't happen in America. It's not to say that slavery was not an evil practice and, and people did these despicable things, but it's discounting the reality that there were so many great successful individuals who, despite starting so negatively from a position in life, were able to overcome and be incredibly successful. And Stephen Smith is one of those guys who rags to rich a story, started out with nothing, becomes one of the wealthiest, or actually, as he was described, as the most wealthy colored man in the United States. A really incredible person. For people that want to find out more, go to wallbuilders.com and you can find out more about Stephen Smith. Okay, guys, more heroes of history coming throughout the month. But for now, let's jump into some good news for today. David, first piece of good news. Okay, Rick, I'm starting out with a piece of good news that actually comes from the Biden administration. We haven't said many good things about the Biden administration, but one of the things that I can say is something they recently did in Somalia. Uh, and, and back up a little bit. As you get over in the terrorist kind of countries, whether it's Afghanistan, it had been Iraq, but so many places in Africa are starting to burgeon now with terrorism. There's so many nations there that were ISIS and Al-Qaeda and, and Boko Haram and all these different groups are growing and exerting more influence. Uh, matter of fact, going back a year and a half ago when Afghanistan was shutting down and we were talking actively at that point in time about the evacuations out of Afghanistan and what we were doing and working there and the Nazarene Fund and getting 17,000 out or whatever it was. And so much of that was was really because you had 20 different terrorist groups there. And, and now we're also engaged in, in countries in Africa where they're capturing, kidnapping Christians and harvesting their organs, selling those organs on the black market because they get a lot of money and that's how they finance their terrorism, et cetera. So in Africa, we've really seen a growth of terrorist sales and terrorism there and Christians have been the victims of that. And so this is a piece of good news because what happened is Biden signed off on going into Somalia and killing one of the key ISIS leaders in Africa. This guy has been responsible for growing ISIS throughout Africa. He's been growing ISIS throughout Afghanistan. He's one of the top leaders, and they sent in special force troops. They found him in a cave complex. They'd hoped to capture him. Uh, his guys put up a fight, and they eliminated them all. And so they have taken out this this terrorist who's responsible for, I don't know how many thousands and thousands of deaths. Um, but that's good news that this guy's gone, and kudos to the Biden administration for fighting terrorism by taking out leaders like this. This is really really significant, really key, and this will save countless American lives. And so kudos to Biden for doing the right thing with taking out this leader in Somalia. All right, let's jump over to Tim, see what our next piece of good news is. All right, guys, well, I have one really small one and then one, and I think they tie together these two. So this first one is actually a comment we had. Somebody sent us an email, and this is Rebecca Garrett out of Ohio. And she said, I have loved listening to the Good News Fridays. It has been a great addition to my Fridays. I have a bit of good news coming out of Ohio. There is a movement right now to get a program called LifeWise Academy in each school district. Check it out at lifewise.org. I'm a teacher for one in West Milton, Ohio, and it has been truly amazing. We are able to take kids out of school for an hour and teach them about Jesus. We are sharing with the students each Tuesday about how a life with Jesus can truly change their lives. And guys, we've talked, I want to say several times, I don't know how many, maybe dozens, hundreds of times it could be about how 
in public schools, there, there is at times way more freedom and flexibility. There's release time. There's Bible story hour. There's some of these things. Well, now life-wise, what's going on? This seems like another follow-on with that, but this is great news. And if you're a teacher out there, the lifewise.org is something that's worth you looking into because if this is something you can do in your school district, the opportunity to, to let kids learn about Jesus, right? Obviously, salvation, eternal security, morals for operating day-to-day, just spend time in the Sermon on the Mount, learning to treat other people the way we want to be treated, that that you are the salt, that, that you are the light. Going through these thoughts, man, this would be incredible if we could start doing this in every single public school district. And, and as a teacher, just wanting to let people know, which first of all, Rebecca, thank you for emailing us. Thanks for letting us know that first of all, you are doing this because that does make even Good News Friday even a little better hearing that there are, we know there are so many great teachers in the public school system. We rag on the public school a lot because we see so many negative things coming out of public schools in general. And and we highly encourage parents. I mean, really, for the soul of your kids, we think the best thing to do is get them out of public school when you can. But Rebecca, I'm saying this a huge caveat. We are so grateful for people like you who are a missionary in some of these situations that you can invest in kids' lives. You can help try to reach them, their souls for Christ. This is really good news. And guys, I'm excited that there are organizations like LifeWise.org trying to do something to help introduce kids to Jesus. You know, what's significant with us, Tim, is this goes back to a Supreme Court decision back in the really hostile days of the court. When they started the judicial activism, there was a case in 47, 48. Uh, One was called Everson versus Board of Education. One was called McCollum. Going back to that point in time, even at that point in time, the Supreme Court said, oh, absolutely. You can teach doctrine to kids in school. You can take them off campus for an hour a week. And so this is something that's been going now for for over 80 years or right at 80 years. And so this is legally acceptable. Your school attorney probably will not have a clue you can do this, but this goes back to Supreme Court rulings even in the hostile days. So if you want to do this, you may have to convince your superintendent or principal or whatever, you can do this. You, you can take these kids and they can have an, an hour of just instruction, whatever kind of religious instruction you want to do. It can be as blatant and open as you want. You can talk about Jesus as much as you want. You can talk about your church's doctrines if you want. That's fine. That's legal. That's acceptable. And again, most school attorneys will not know that, but it's called release time. And so release time, they can look it up online. That is a legal program. And there's a lot of different programs across the country. And Tim, the one you mentioned is great, great one. So there's some good things. And, and parents, maybe you can get motivated to start one of these in your school or your church can reach out and start something in the school. It'd be great. All right. Well, then I will save the the follow on the second part for after break. And then we have to go to break. But I, I am encouraged. Rebecca, thanks again so much for emailing. This is great news. Quick break, guys. We'll be right back with more good news. Stay with us. You're listening to Wall Builders. Have you noticed the vacuum of leadership in America? We're looking around for leaders of principle to step up, and too often, no one is there. God is raising up a generation of young leaders with a passion for impacting the world around them. They're crying out for the mentorship and leadership training they need. Patriot Academy was created to meet that need. Patriot Academy graduates now serve in state capitals around America, in the halls of Congress, in business, in the film industry, in the pulpit, and every area of the culture. They're leading effectively and impacting the world around them. 
Patriot Academy is now expanding across the nation, and now's your chance to experience this life-changing week that trains champions to change the world. Visit PatriotAcademy.com for dates and locations. Our core program is still for young leaders, 16 to 25 years old, but we also now have a citizen track for adults. So visit the website today to learn more. Help us fill the void of leadership in America. Join us in training champions to change the world at PatriotAcademy.com. We're back here on Wall Builders, and Tim Barton has the next piece of good news for our Good News Friday. Tim? All right, guys. This piece of good news is coming from Florida, and the title of the article says, Florida Megachurch Requiring Members Agree to Statement Affirming Biblical Definition of Marriage. Wait a minute. A megachurch? That is what it says. No, no, it's usually small country churches that do this. You're talking a, a real genuine megachurch. Uh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, when I saw this article, I, I remember sharing it with several people um, and actually said, we, we probably should interview this pastor on Wall Builder's show. This would be a great guy to talk to about this. So to, just in case, if you haven't heard about this, uh, which maybe is why you listen to Good News Friday, because you hear good news that you haven't heard other places, there is a church in Jacksonville, Florida. It's called First Baptist Church. And I've the, been there. I know the pastors. Well, so senior pastor is Heath Lambert. That's a great church. And uh, they decided they wanted to have their members sign on to a, a statement of biblical sexuality. Here's the statement. As a member of First Baptist Church, I believe that God creates people in his image as either male or female, and that this creation is a fixed matter of human biology, not individual choice. I believe marriage is instituted by God, not government is between one man and one woman and is the only context for sexual desire and expression. Now, that seems like a very basic Christian idea and teaching. Seems like this shouldn't be super controversial, but just to clarify, Pastor Lambert did say that the reason they did this, they've been considering such a statement for a while. They thought now was the right time to have a clear statement on these controversial issues. Why was now the right time, you might ask? He explained, our church is in a strong and stable place. We are not in conflict on these issues, and we do not want to be. So we wanted to clarify our position now. Guys, this was one of my favorite things from the statement. So often we see the church or Christians, and I even, I mean, I can even think of this as parenting sometimes, that we are so reactional and not always strategic and intentional that as leaders, we want to lead people in the direction that they need to go. We don't want to be reactionary and respond to whatever's happening in culture. We want to be leaders that guide what's happening in culture. Pastor Lambert said this was a decision made by our entire congregation. Uh, the, the church approved this unanimously. That means by definition that our entire church stands behind this. I've heard of few people who have said that they are leaving our church, but our church as a whole is excited about the statement and supportive of it. So th- this is a pastor who, in the midst of woe culture, still recognizes the truth of biblical authority, saying, guys, we're going to stand on what the Bible says. And some people have said, well, you're just targeting, right, the gays and homosexuals. As, as a pastor pointed out, th- this is every form of human sexuality. So whether we're talking about adultery, whether we're talking about right fornication, you can go through several things the Bible identifies in addition to and even outside of homosexuality. He says it's it's just recognizing that the place for human sexuality is in a biblical idea of marriage defined in the Bible as one man and one woman, a lifelong covenant union. So th- this was just so encouraging to me to see a pastor. And as the article identified a pastor of a mega church. So that means you have thousands of people that are part of your church congregation for this pastor to take a stand, bringing clarity to what should have already been clear, but unfortunately in culture is not always the most clear 
For this pastor to have the courage and backbone to do this, this is what we need more of in our culture. Pastors having the courage, the backbone, and the biblical understanding to speak truth and clarity to issues that are becoming confusing in culture. And again, I love, as he pointed out, this isn't something that their church is struggling with. He just wanted to stay ahead of this to make sure their church doesn't end up struggling with something that is clear in the Bible. Kudos to Pastor Lambert on this situation. You know, this really is a good throwback to history uh, because I was doing some writing. I've been doing some writing recently on Andrew Jackson, some other early presidents. And late in life, Andrew Jackson decides he wants to join the church. He He wants to be part of a Christian church. It's a Presbyterian church. And so the preacher comes in and preaches the, a series of sermons at the church where Jackson decided he would go listen to this guy. And as he did, one of the sermons he preached was pointed directly at Jackson. I mean, it just point blank at Jackson because the, the pastor knew Jackson was there. He knew that Jackson hadn't been religious. So he points this at him. And, and so Jackson met with the pastor the next day, said, hey, I, I know you pointed that at me. And it's interesting. Jackson talked about the fact that he wanted to meet with the pastor and he wanted the pastor to what he called catechize. I want you to ask me questions about the faith. Because back then, even if you became a Christian, you couldn't become a church member until you knew enough about the Bible and about faith to know what was required of you to live a Christian life. So it wasn't just a matter of uh, you say, hey, I'm a Christian, I've had a salvation experience, I'm now a member of the church. They said, no, you really need to know. And even folks like Dwight Moody, who was the great revivalist and evangelist at the turn of the century revivals, he tried to join a church, and the board sat down with him and questioned him and said, yeah, you're a Christian, but you just don't know anything about the Bible yet. You need to know more about the, the beliefs and doctrines. And, and so what this church has done, Tim, in Florida, that's really going back to that, saying, look, if you're going to be a member of the church, you need to uphold biblical values, biblical teachings, and one of the most basic of all is is sexuality, human sexuality and, and human marriage. And, and so it's really good to see that. And hopefully other churches will go back to that historical tradition because that was even tradition at the time of the apostles. In the book of Acts, it talks about the seed of the unlearned. Those were the people who said, hey, I want to be a Christian, but they didn't know what that meant yet. And so the seed of the unlearned was where they went to classes and when they went to school and they learned about what it meant to be a Christian, be a follower of Christ. And, and once they got that and became a disciple, then they became part of the congregation. So it really is a healthy thing to see that happen that's moving in a really good direction. I hope a whole bunch of other churches will do that, not just on that issue, but other key issues as well. All right, David's got the final piece of good news today. David, where are you taking us? Okay, Rick, this one is coming out of Fort Worth. It's our backyard. We wall builders are pretty close to Fort Worth. Uh, That was the big city around me when I grew up. And so in Fort Worth, its nickname is Cowtown, USA. And yet it was out of Fort Worth about six, six and a half years ago that the whole gender identity thing really took off in schools. Um, They were really the first school in the nation to kind of say, hey, we're not going to do this gender thing the way it's always been done. We'll let kids choose their own gender, choose their own bathrooms, locker rooms, whatever. And then Arnie Duncan, who was the secretary of education for Obama, picked that up and said, man, I should have thought of that. It's a great idea. And so they made this deal that if you get federal funds, you can't do gender stuff in your schools. And so that really is is where this whole gender thing kind of got started. All, all this dysfunctional stuff that we have came out of Fort Worth, which is amazing because Fort Worth is the 13th largest city in the United States, just under a million people. And it's the only major city in the United States that has a Republican mayor. So it's considered to be a fairly conservative town compared to big cities. And yet here out of Texas, out of Cowtown, USA, they come where they they can't tell genders anymore. And and then we find out that Fort Worth has joined with Planned Parenthood 
and is one of only about 35 or 36 schools that is modeling Planned Parenthood curriculum. And it was really radical stuff. We got a hold of the curriculum, looked at it, and man, it's the kind of stuff that, that, that a lot of adults would find super offensive, much less teaching the kids. But it's Planned Parenthood, and so I think there were 34, 35, 37 schools that did that, and Fort Worth was one of them. You can see San Francisco, and you can see maybe Atlanta or something, up, but Fort Worth, Texas? And so it, it really has been heading in a bad direction in the Fort Worth School District, and a lot of that's been the voters. Um, there's just under a million people in Fort Worth, and in the school board election, the president of the school board who came up with these silly policies was elected with less than 1,200 votes out of a town with nearly a million people. So I started looking around in churches and found some church. I found one church that had 3,000 registered adult voters in that church as an evangelical church. That one church could have saved the whole nation from all this gender confusion if they'd put a different candidate in out of their district, the, the guy that was school board president. So what happened in this last election, last November, just now three months ago or so, was a church here in Fort Worth got engaged, and they really got engaged. And it's a mega church. It's a huge church. They got engaged, and they started looking at the school board and said, this is not right. This is not what Texans believe. This is not what Christians believe. This is not what most parents believe. Most parents don't know what's being taught. So they won 20 out of 21 seats there in Fort Worth in the school district. They got 20 out of 21. And now here is this headline that comes out that says, Fort Worth ISD drops sex ed despite having $2.6 million purchased of instructional materials from Planned Parenthood. Change in leadership, change in in the school board, and now the kids will be getting different information, headed in a very positive direction. Way to go to that church in Fort Worth that stood up for this, and way to go for all the parents that will now have the benefit of this. This is good news to see that we're getting back involved in local things and starting to teach local values the right way. This now conforms to state law in Texas, which is another thing that should have been going on. It wasn't, but that's what a change in leadership can do. All right, folks, out of time for today for good news, but you can get more at our website, wallbuilderslive.com. Click on the archive button, go back into the archives, you can get good news Fridays from the past few weeks and months, Foundations of Freedom Thursdays, the interviews for Monday through Wednesday, just a lot of good programming in there, and it's great stuff to share with your friends and family. As I said at the top of the program, the one thing I'm going to ask you to do today is to share the program. Take the link from today, post it on your social media pages, send it out to your friends and family. Pick four or five friends to just text it to and say, hey, listen to all this good news that I learned today. You'll enjoy this program. That's a great way to help us grow the program. It's growing like crazy, but you can help be a force multiplier by doing that today. Thanks for listening to Wall Builders. We stand undivided forever.